It's Wednesday, March 9th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. We got a bunch of things to get to. We got we got a bunch of news, and let's start with Chipotle, uh, which is seeing its stock down around five percent after. And stop me if you've heard this before. I was going to say, is this news in the in the sense of something new? It's not new. Except it's just in a different location in Massachusetts, where Chipotle has closed after four employees have gotten sick and one has tested positive for a little something we like to call norovirus. I say time to stay away from Massachusetts, not not Chipotle. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you say that about Massachusetts? Do you consider yourself from Massachusetts or from Maine? Uh, I'm from Maine, but I have great affinity for Massachusetts because I lived I'm there for a, a number of relative years. number of years in each. Uh, number of years in Maine, I don't know, nineteen twenty, and another five or so in Massachusetts. Uh, here's the thing: uh, enough. Uh, I spent enough years in Massachusetts that when I saw the news that Chipotle shut down a location in Bill Ricca, I didn't have to scramble to try and figure out where Bill Ricca is. It is northwest of Boston. Um, anyway, Jason Moser has has. Used this phrase before about Chipotle, and it is the the idea of as long as the other shoe doesn't drop. This is coming. You know, they had they had this problem at the location near my alma mater, Boston College. A bunch of kids got sick, and they came out with all new health guidelines and all this stuff. And I'm a little surprised that the stock is not falling more than five. Well, I think it's more like a like a shoelace dropping today, or a sock. Than a shoe because so you've got four employees. Did they get sick from eating at Chipotle? There's no information about that. This this could be an employee who works closely with other employees sick and somebody gets sick and they shut the restaurant down. There's no report of any customers getting sick. Nobody getting sick from eating there. Not yet. Not yet. Now I right if if it so if it's just Hey, we we shut down uh, a store before anything could get into the food. Then, well, well done. Uh, although any headline for Chipotle is not a good one, where it brings up th- this kind of thing. So, yeah, you know, we don't yet know enough of the details. So the stock sells off, but it's one store. It's it's not customers. That's why I don't think you're seeing as much of a reaction uh, as as you've seen to more serious outbreaks. In the past, all I can think of is when you drive by a construction site and they've got a sign up that lists the number of days since they last had an on-site accident. And in the case of Chipotle, that we're si- back to zero. That sign has been reset to zero because if you're and I continue to be a shareholder of this company, but I'm really hoping. That they go the rest of 2016 and beyond without another incident like this, because well, because it, it it's something that's in the headlines because it's Chipotle. Are there other restaurants in the country this week where they shut down a location somewhere because somebody's sick or or something like that? I don't know because it's not going to be reported if it's a Bojangles or something, uh, or or not to. Select them. That just not to pick on Bojangles. Not to pick on Bojangles, which I don't don't want to pick on. I'm just talking about restaurants which are not in the headlines all the time, 
and and there's always something going on somewhere. And hopefully, this is an isolated incident that's got to do with an employee getting sick, rather than uh, you know the food itself causing anything. Because it, there are there are dangers if they have if they can't stop. That th- being the problem. Do you think this is because Bojangles doesn't hold itself up as having food with integrity? Because I think that's that's a very big part of it. I think the Schadenfreude part. It's not even the Schadenfreude. It's the we're holding ourselves to a higher. We at Chipotle are holding ourselves to the highest possible standard in this industry, and you can do that as long as you continue to not close down locations because people are getting sick with health, uh, you know, with airborne viruses. I think that a couple of the stories were of sufficient magnitude that it's a very popular restaurant and it's a popular stock and and all of that affects it. It it probably would have been better if this were a private company dealing with this than a a public company. So, is there some level of, of them holding themselves up as being a higher example of how to operate a restaurant and failing at one level? Perhaps. Um, but I, I think it's really just got to do with body count, which they don't have yet. Actual dead bodies. Actual, no, like and, Jack and so the Box Jack did. in the Box had numerous. I, I don't remember how many, but deaths. More than one. More than one. Yeah, multiple with deaths. Their e. coli. And it's it's fifteen twenty I think twenty was, some years. I think it was the early nineties. I want to say it was nineteen ninety one, but it was yeah. it was it, let's just say it was at least twenty years ago. And they've had a lot. Of cycles since then, ups and downs, and they're still around, and, and they've never been as popular as uh, Chipotle. So, well, let's just hope nobody else gets sick. Let's move on. I know they're hoping that. They are certainly hoping that. Uh, let's move on to General Mills. Uh, company announced it is increasing its quarterly dividend by 5%, which seems like just one more reason to buy this stock, which has rather quietly done well over the past couple of years. If you think of the last Certainly, the last year, the stock's up about twenty percent compared to a market down around six percent or so. And we were chatting about this earlier this morning, and I made a because when I hear General Mills, I immediately think of cereal, mm-hmm. and they the, these are the people who make Cheerios and other cereals as well. But Cheerios is the first one that comes to mind. And your colleague Brian Hinman. Quickly pointed out that hey, General Mills has a lot more going on than just cereal, and he's right. They, uh, um, all, all manner of packaged foods coming out of General Mills. Uh, is is this a stock that's? It, I don't know. It's it seems like kind of a quiet, boring stock, but certainly over the last couple of years, it's done quite well. It's quite a boring stock with some pluses and some minuses. It is not really growing. Total sales very much. It's a pretty flat story over the last uh, three years in in sales. It's flat over a longer period of time in terms of real profits. Nevertheless, we're talking about it because it's raising its dividend, which it does basically every four quarters. It raises its dividend. It's raising it two cents a share, which is less than the previous four or five annual dividend raises. Uh, which makes sense because they're not really growing their earnings fast enough to grow the dividend more than that. The payout ratio is already uh, was 83% last year, so they're taking most of their profits and 
giving them back to shareholders directly in the form of dividends. They've also been buying back some shares. So, what earnings per share growth you're seeing in this company of late, and of late, I mean, last half decade has mostly been buying back shares. So, that's kind of the bad news. It is sleepy. It's not not moving forward dramatically like a lot of stocks we would tend to talk about here, which have more interesting ups and downs. There are no real downs here. It hasn't had a down year on a total return level. That's both the stock price movement and the dividend uh, in over 10 years. So, people own it for stability. It's consumer staples. Things don't change rapidly in the cereal market, although we can talk about what's on the horizon for cereal. Uh, and they diversify into so many other things, pizza and and um, soup, soup uh, Progresso, Yoplait yogurt, uh, frozen foods. Um, they've got Pillsbury. They've got a lot of brands here. There are a lot of places that they are on the on the uh, store aisle, all over it, and that gives them a, a great deal of stability. Yeah, there was that story recently about how millennials aren't eating breakfast cereal. Because it's too hard. It, it's it, just, it's, because it involves cleaning up dishes, and I just remember reading that and thinking, I don't. I'm not digging into what if any science or, or surveys are actually happening in this, but that just strikes me as slightly absurd. Not to make fun of of chronic fatigue syndrome, which is a real thing. It is, but, a real but thing. this sounds like an entire generation that yeah. is bucking for chronic fatigue syndrome. Like, That's I what it just, sounded like. Or just flat-out laziness. I just, I just can't put the dishes in the dishwasher. Right. Because <laughs> then, I, then I got You got to open it. You got, you got to roll the like the tray out. Put the clean Eventually, dishes back you gotta, in the cabinet. You got to put some detergent in. <laughs> it's just, it's a whole thing. It's man. not worth it. You know what I'd rather do? <laughs> Take a sleeve of yogurt, one of those t- yogurt tubes, and just jam that in my mouth, swallow it whole, and then throw it away. Because that doesn't involve dishes. Maybe just. Take the box of cereal out and just eat it with your hands. If if the whole bowl and spoon thing are too much for you millennials, skip it. Just pour it straight into your mouth. Do you think it's possible that cereal consumption, which is declining, not at some precipitous rate, but it is declining in, in cereal sales, not just General Mills, but you, you look across the industry, they yep. are declining. Do you think it might possibly have a little bit more to do with people trying to reduce uh, carbs in their diet? I think it's got to do with a lot of transitions in how people eat and eat, especially prepared foods and foods which uh, are not necessarily designed uh, for your health. Like I don't know, tricks. I think is a <laughs> despite the seven, is tricks not healthy. Isn't well, Captain it's Crunch got healthy? seven or eleven, you know, essential vitamins and minerals. Right? It's part of your complete breakfast. It is part of your complete breakfast, um, and. And so, not everybody buys that apparently. And so, the great sugary cereals of our youth are not uh, growing their sales. And but Cheerios is is very stable. Nope. I mean, you raised your kids on Cheerios, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, you have to. I mean, it's all it's actually kind of the law in this country. It kind of is the law. It's certainly an easy snack when right. when kids are little and and you're. You know, just throwing a bunch of you know. You can't just throw a bunch of uh, 
you know, cornflakes on their tray and frosted flakes at them, <laughs> like, or Captain Crunch, because that won't go well, right? Particularly if they're just uh, starting to. So they've got all these up. things that are still very relevant, uh, but they're not they're not really growing in in uh, entirety, and so. Oh wow, you're back to General Mills. I thought we had just completely gone off topic. I and just occasionally go on, back on, on topic. <laughs> we can we can talk about cereal as long as you want, but the point is that they th- these things are stable. But in slight decline, they'll introduce some new extensions to the brands, you know, more different flavors of, of Cheerios, and, and pick up a brand every once in a while. But the total package uh, ends up being a, a stable but not very fast-growing thing. No one I know is as big a fan of tennis as you are. And the tennis world crossed over into the business world this week with the news that Maria Sharapova one of, fair to say, one of the the five best players in women's tennis over the last decade? Certainly. Uh, Maria Sharapova called a press conference, which, when it was called, a number of people in the sports media thought, oh, she's calling this press conference to announce that she's retiring. And instead, what she announced is that uh, she has been taking, for some period of time, a banned, a substance that is now banned uh, something called meldonium, which is a medicine produced in Latvia that is prescribed for heart disease, which, as best I can tell, she does not have. And it's a, and this is this is the the phrase that sends certainly sports related media, uh, sports related businesses running for cover. Uh, performance enhancing effects, and yeah. so Nike. And Porsche, two of her sponsors, suspended their relationship with her immediately. And in the case of Nike, um, it had less to do with just, oh, well, she's been taking this banned substance. I'm sure that was the case with Porsche. But in Nike's case, that actually hurts them or could hurt them. Yeah, they don't want to be aligned with athletes whose success is derived in any way from cheating. And whether she was taking a performance enhancing medically, uh, you know, a, a drug with a medical use strictly for medical reasons uh, or for performance enhancement, doesn't really matter. Particularly for Nike at this point, uh, and doesn't necessarily matter for uh, WADA. I think is the what is it? World Athletic I something W A D A. I think is the acronym. is this the governing body? That is the governing body of uh, I, I think the the testing and and I think the ITF or WTA whatever follows the, their findings. So anyway, uh, Nike doesn't want to be. Associated with that because they want people to buy their sneakers because the sneakers are what is going to make them or the various other equipment that they produce. That's what's going to improve their performance, not that they're aligning themselves with athletes who are using their sneakers and equipment and performance enhancing drugs. There are plenty of athletes that don't have this hanging over their heads. Nike can easily distance themselves with and just be aligned with the thousands of other athletes that they've got as, as part of their brand. We talked about this earlier this morning. Do you have a sense of when this started? And by this, I'm referring to companies like Nike 
putting into their sponsorship deals with professional athletes clauses that address this issue, that say, look, we're going to include these things, and if you're arrested, if you're, you know, if it's anything to sort of damage the brand, I, I know when I first came aware, became aware of these types of clauses, but I can't think of them from a business standpoint. I don't know when they started. I think it's probably been decades, though. You know, where you want to get out of being associated with somebody once they have broken the law and are damaging your brand, and then to be after the first time that somebody uh, started damaging the brand by being associated with them, and they were still paying because they couldn't get out of a contract. I think the next contracts they started writing, they and everybody else. Included these things, and and previously the, the performance dancing drugs certainly was not where the morality clause would have started because that's a far more recent uh, innovation than other things that damage somebody's celebrity. The first time I remember these types of clauses, it was in the 1980s. Michael Jordan was playing for the Chicago Bulls. I believe it was his second contract that he was negotiating with them, and. The Chicago Bulls, realizing they had this transcendent player on their team and wanting to make sure that he stayed as healthy as possible off the court, because there's only so much they could do to keep him healthy on the court, had put in the contract a number of clauses, basically banning all number of activities. You can't go skydiving. You can't do, they, they listed all of these different things that he was not allowed to do in his spare time. And one of them was pickup basketball. You can't go play in a pickup game over the summer, you know, wherever you are. And Jordan balked at that. And it was uh, he uh, it was it became referred to as the love of the game clause in his in, in his contract because he and his agent basically made the case like, look, I love playing basketball. You're not gonna stop me from playing basketball. If I you know I can get hurt playing in a in a game for you, yes, I can get hurt Playing pickup ball, but I want to keep doing it. So, was that Nike or was that the Bulls? That was the Bulls. Yeah, but that was the first time I became aware of. Oh, wait, there are there are clauses in contract in contracts that that are far more complicated than here's how long this contract runs and here's how much we're going to pay you to do X. Yeah, and the more money that is at stake, the more things there will be in that contract right. that you can't do. And ways for somebody to get out of paying because in the world of sports, in particular, uh, and this differs from league to league, but baseball—I mean, you're on the hook for now five, six, seven years, a hundred million dollars, way more than a hundred million dollars. And for if you were taking the risk that somebody would skydive or or even just skateboard or anything like that, it's just not worth your risk. So you're saying the days of the great John Cruck, who played for the Philadelphia Phillies, smoking. I'm not sure that would be, is, is that in there. <laughs> I just I just remember that he's the last, certainly the last Major League Baseball player, and that's you know that's 20 years ago that he was playing for the Phillies. But you know, in the 1990s, Cruck was a smoker, high profile smoker, high profile smoker. <laughs> I doubt he's the only professional athlete still smoking. I was referring to cigarettes, right? But even so, I just. <laughs> Because of their addictiveness, and obviously they don't help your performance, uh, especially over the long term, because they kill you, uh, which always hurts your yeah, performance. That does. Uh, but 
Although not as much cardio in baseball. Right, and that was his point. I think that was his response when he was found, you know, smoking, and somebody said, "Aren't, aren't how you could a, you do that? How could you do this? You're an athlete." And he's his response was, "I'm not an athlete. I'm a baseball player." Right. Let's wrap up with Crown Media Holdings, which is up three percent on the news that it is being taken private by Hallmark Cards. Hallmark already owns 90% of Crown, so this obviously brings the whole thing in-house. And if you are unfamiliar with Crown Media Holdings, you probably know it better by the Hallmark Channel, which is uh, the television channel that uh, Crown Media owns. And now, uh, that's all under the Hallmark brand. Not Exciting much of, news. Not much of a premium being paid for, by Hallmark Cards. <laughs> To bring the entire Hallmark Channel in the rest of the ten percent it didn't already own. Yeah, no, and and I understand why they would do this, which is to just run this privately without having to worry about the optics for their very very uh, inconsequential in terms of percentage ownership shareholders. Easier to just buy that last ten percent and do whatever they want with it, and not have to. Answer to shareholders on a quarterly basis. Uh, the the thing being public was not of any great use to them, uh, but it's uh, it was not a very hadn't been a very successful venture over the last fifteen years in terms of shareholder rewards. It was more successful recently, but it's it's tough times for you know a number of cable operators. Although it's in about three quarters of homes. Um, and it's in your home, probably. It's in my is home, it? as is the Lifetime channel. Two channels which we don't watch as often as, as they probably would like us to watch them. That's probably true. Uh, Lifetime, uh, owned jointly by the Disney company and by Hearst, and presumably they're, they're doing better. Uh, that's just my assumption that they are doing better, certainly because they have more programming, more they have television shows that they're creating. Um, they're just producing more, so my assumption is that they are—they're doing a better job of turning a profit with that channel. I think so. They're more of a known brand. Hallmark is more extending its brand. I, I, what is on the Hallmark Channel? I, the only time I ever think of the Hallmark Channel is uh, in December, because it seems like they produce holiday-related movies that get promotion on channels that I happen to be Romantic watching. comedies, one assumes. Usually, yeah. Heart, you know, just heartwarming, feel-good. Heart, heartwarming, feel-good stories. <laughs> you laugh, you cry. Exactly. Everybody you, gets married at the end. And you, and you feel happy at the end. Unlike uh, a number of Lifetime movies, which appear to fall under the umbrella of women in peril. Hallmark Channel, probably a little bit more, or entirely, Boy Meets Girl, Boy loses girl, boy gets girl back. Probably, probably, yeah. Lifetime, I don't know what the mantra I, I think would it's be. Like boy stalks girl, girl <laughs> successfully kills him, uh, or yeah, runs away or kills him, and then th- there is, a and then there's ending. a trial. Yeah, and but she's not put in jail. No, no, maybe I don't know because I've never watched one of these movies, but it it seems to be uh, less of a feel good formula from what I can tell. It weren't. Kristen Wiig and, and um, Kristen Wiig and Will Ferrell did a Lifetime movie, a quasi was a send up of Lifetime movies. I right? think so. Yeah, was it put on Lifetime? I think it was. Yeah, if your Lifetime and Kristen Wiig and Will Ferrell come to you and say we have this idea, I think you're you're greenlighting that. Yeah, is that out? 
Uh, you can probably find it somewhere online. What I love about Lifetime is that it's not just but, the, but the premise is, and I just read an article about it. Where the premise was they adopt some child and it turns out to be evil or something and terrorizes them. So it's it's couple in peril. It's a it's an extension so. of woman in peril. It's it's couple in peril. We'd have to do some research to find out whether I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, <laughs> and by we I mean you. We'd have to do some research. Um, I, I believe at one point there was a quiz that went around online, and it was a list of movie titles, and half of them were actual titles of Lifetime movies, and half of them were made up. And you you would try and guess which is which. Uh, the, for me, the classic is always "Mother, May I Sleep with Danger," and Tori Spelling, a young Tori Spelling, was uh, I don't know, just a, a young woman in peril because she was dating a mysterious new what? boy in town. Did, did her mother allow her to sleep with danger? I never actually watched the entire thing all the way to the end. But come on, that's a great <laughs> title, "Mother, May I Sleep with Danger." Here you are talking about it years later. There you go. It just sort of sucks you in. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.